you know, great players win multiple titles. So that was always my goal. A lot of energy built zero, up zero. both players. Can't wait to get this game underway. Well, that's a very high percentage shot there from Jeremy Dude. Hits that about eight inches high, rides the wall, and hit it about 80 miles per hour. For me, handball has to be up there with one of the greatest sports in the world, and yes, it's been a hidden treasure for years. Hello and welcome to the world's greatest handball podcast. Whether you're a big alley man with a thunder hand in the holster, a female 40 by 20 player, a hardball diehard or a one wall rollout merchant like me, this is the podcast for you. This week we're bringing you episode 5 of the We Are Handball podcast. Our first four episodes have been very well received and I want to thank everyone who has messaged me and provided feedback, good and bad. And thankfully the good outweighs the bad so far, which is an unusual thing for our, our little sport. So far on the podcast, we've had David Fink, Desi Keegan, Gavin Buggy, Katrina Casey, Jermot Nash, Martin Mulcairns, Tony Healy and Seamus Otuma, not to mention Killian Carroll all the way from Boston. What a lineup that would be in any open singles tournament. I want to thank every one of them who has joined me in the month since we started. On this week's show, I'll be joined by Gavin Buggy again to look back on the recent All-Ireland 60 by 30 Championships. And then in a very special feature, I sat down in handball headquarters at Crow Park for a long and wide-ranging discussion with National Handball Manager John Kelly. I hope you enjoy this week's show and remember to subscribe on iTunes or any podcast provider and to like and share the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. That's really important. I can't emphasize enough. If you enjoy the podcast, just make sure to give it a share and send it to your handball contacts because it's all about getting the, the numbers up so we can keep this podcast going. In the meantime, here's Gavin Buggy. Okay, so first up on the We Are Handball podcast this week is a man who knows more about Big Alley than anyone else in the country, and that's Gavin Bogey from Wexford. Gavin, you won't thank me for that introduction, but I think it's true. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I'd have to, I'd have to kind of uh, take that with a pinch of salt, Paul. But <laughs> however. <laughs> Gavin, I I know you you were in attendance at the recent senior doubles final. I think you were refereeing it actually. And I was. I refereed. Yep. You were also at the juvenile finals uh, down in Wexford and Carlow venues last weekend. So we might have a little look at those. The last time you were on, we were we were having a good look at the sixty thirty softball championships. What did you make of the final, Gavin? Mead, I suppose, did the, did the job again in style. Yeah, Mead, um, Tom Sheridan, Brian Carroll. Um, I think I was just going through. Um, I think it was Tom's 15th All Ireland Senior Doubles, which is a remarkable achievement, and it was Brian Carroll's uh, seventh title. Um, obviously, Tom had had won say eight more with with I think with Walter O'Connor and with um, James McGovern before that, but he has won seven titles with Brian Carroll, which is a, tr- a terrific achievement. They beat Owen and Carroll in the final. Um, I think they were full value for it was a twenty-one sixteen, twenty-one ten victory. Um, and I, you know, their level of consistency and their level of play, I think, has been just remarkably good. And it's been, you know, they were too hot to handle for everybody who was in the championship this year. I mean, this with this with um, Seamus O'Carroll and CJ Fitzpatrick, who will be no mean pair aside in the semi-final. And you know they were comprehensively the best pair in the final. I, I thought the, the first game was 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 close and tight, but like once Tom and Brian got up and running, you know they just have a, an, an uncanny kind of chemistry and relationship between both of them. Tom knows exactly where Brian is going to be, and he lets an awful lot of balls back. And, you know, they just had the Dublin lads on the back foot. And I mean, the two Dublin guys, Owen and Carl, have been terrific players. I mean, Owen Kennedy has won, you know, countless senior singles titles. And I mean, they're no mean pair in their own right. But, um, the lads were just, you know, they just, their level of consistency and their anticipation, their court awareness, you know, for anybody who plays handball and appreciates the game like we do, Paul, I mean, you would have to marvel at their skill. 
And Brian Carroll, it has to be said, like we all know about Tom Sheridan, what a good left side double player he is and phenomenal record at, at 50, 15 years of age almost. But Brian Carroll is probably not appreciated for the quality player he is in his own right. Like he's, he's a tremendous player on the right side of the court, Gavin, isn't he? Oh, he is. I mean, look, I mean, he's, he's, you know, if, if you're going to list the, the most, say, effective and talented, um, handballers, whether they be 40 by 20 or 60 by 30 in doubles, like Brian Carroll is right up there with the best of them. I mean, he's speed around the court. Um, his athleticism, he's, you know, he's, as I said, like Tom and him have an uncanny relationship and Brian knows exactly you know, what Tom is going to let off and, and, and what Tom is going to hit. And I mean, he's, he's just a thorn in everybody's side, you know, with his speed and his will to win and commitment, like to get to the lost causes and, and balls that you think have gone dead. Like Brian is there. And I mean, he's a remarkable player to kill the ball as well. Um, he has, you know, his, his serve seems to be kind of just, a, a very straightforward serve, but the more I've kind of studied his serve over the years, the more effective that it looks every time he plays. I mean, he 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 does he never lobs the ball, um, he never go over to the left to serve. He will just consistently stand in the right, and obviously with the power and the, the you know the area that he's catching the wall, in it, it's causing all sorts of problems for his opponents. And I mean, he plays the game on the edge, and he's a Terrific competitor, and I mean, I would be, you know, he has to be, you know, without question, one of the greatest doubles players of all time, and, and a, a gentleman. You know, he's terrifically competitive on the court, but Brian is is one of the lads like that. He's an unassuming character off the court as well. Like, and but you know, to kind of go back to your question, like he's just he's he's a brilliant player, brilliant player. You'd wonder. Where's the next team come, going to come along and stop these meat boys? Like Tom Sheridan is forty nine, I think. Um, you know, could they still be winning senior All Ireland when Tom is fifty three, fifty four years of age, Gavin? Which are on the evidence of uh, on the evidence of September the eighth. I mean, or September the seventh. Even I think it was. <laughs> that looks entirely possible. But um, you know, I. I I I I, I kind of just maybe heard on the grapevine that maybe Tom kind of had maybe said it to me there afterwards that I I know he says it's a perennial thing with him but he says it every year that this was his last year but like I mean at at some point he's going to have to kind of call time on it like you know fifteen titles is is more than an ordinary handballer could hope to achieve in his lifetime and I don't know whether he'll he'll kind of keep going and going and going but like I mean if Tom decides to step aside I mean I'm not writing his retirement now or anything or he's a bitchery handball a bitchery but like Gary McConnell would be you know in the firing line there to step in with Brian and they would look you know to be you know they're going to be extremely difficult to beat then over the next couple of years but in terms of somebody you know challenging the Mead guys whether it be Tom or whether it be Gary like I mean, I know Owen and Carl are are very good players, as I said, in their own right. But they, you know, they just seem to be a little bit off the me lads this year, and there doesn't seem to be anybody else, like you know, stepping up to the mark and saying, "Look, we're in the firing line here, and we're putting our names forward to try and take the title." I know every year is different, but on the, on the face of it, there doesn't look to be anybody there. And that brings me on to the next question, Gavin. The last time you were on the podcast, we talked at length about who's going to be the next young hotshot to, to come on in the big alley and contend. You attended the, the juvenile finals last week. What did you think of the standard there? It was a big day for Gavin because we won our first um, juvenile All-Ireland in 16 years, would you believe? So it, that was a great return from the well, hard work that's going on yeah. in Kingscourt. But, um, what did you make of the overall standard? Um... Yeah, well, I, in you know, in direct kind of response, like I mean, Connor Owen, you know, I I thought he was, uh, um, I didn't expect him to be as talented a player as what he was. I, I hadn't really seen him. I saw him play him once, I think, but 
I mean, he 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 has a huge amount of potential going forward for the future. And I thought he was he he put up a very a very polished performance against um, Colin Parnell from Wexford, and it, it wouldn't have been an easy ask for Connor because it was kind of there was six finals involving all Wexford uh, representatives on Sunday in Castle Beach, and the previous five finals or the five finals before Connor's game had went the way of 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 all the Wexford players, so I'm sure he felt pressure going in. But I mean, he 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 performed really well and very strong. I, I suppose that was probably one of the noticeable factors with him. That he was particularly powerful sh- uh, shot on the ball, and he, he he moved well around the court. And I mean, it's great for you know the sixty by thirty kind of titles to be spread out. And I mean, it's great to see Kevin. Under all of honour and on the on the winners table, and I mean I think Connor has a, an awful lot of potential going forward as well. Um, the, the under sixteen doubles was, pair were very strong, I believe, from from Wexford, Kevin, were they? Yeah, Josh Kavanagh and Keen Kehoe. They Keen was actually on holidays in Miami, and they had to kind of miss out on, so they had to play their final the previous week. Um, they had done a good bit of training now, and Josh Kavanagh is terrifically terrifically talented player, and. Um, Keane is, is, is very able deputy on the, on the right hand side and they went to Cullen and Cork to take on the local lad. It was, uh, Keane O'Driscoll and Anthony O'Connell. And it, it was 11 8. Wexford actually won it in the tie break. So, I mean, it was a really close game and very tight. I thought Wexford would have probably won it a little bit easier, maybe, but I suppose conceding home advantage and, it was actually on, on the, at the same time as the All-Ireland Senior Doubles final programme in Crow Park and we probably didn't have the support maybe down there that yeah. you know that, that we would have had had the game being in Castle Bridge but the Wexford lads are good you know, they've trained hard and we've kind of have you know I wrote a couple of little reports during the week we, we probably have a, a golden generation of juvenile handballers in Wexford at the moment and Keane and Josh are are to the forefront of that. And you know, Josh won the under fourteen singles last year, and Keane won under 15, 60 by thirty doubles. So they've been making waves at juvenile level over the last couple of years. It's fantastic to see it, and hats off to everyone in Wexford that's putting in the work because yeah, that, that doesn't happen by accident. No, and, and and I suppose like looking, you know, there was a good spread. I see, you know, Liam Egan of Roscommon won a title of boys under fifteen. You had Alan Casey and Chloe Philpott. Um, from Clare won a title at girls under 14 doubles um, Tyrone uh, Caitlin Conway and Elizabeth McGarvey two terrific players they won the 40 by 20 under 16 girls doubles earlier in the year and they won at the weekend again under 16 60 by 30 they beat two Kilkenny girls um, Kilkenny won a few titles Amy Brennan is a very talented girl and under 14 Jack Holden has been around the, the block a long time. He's a very strong boy at under sixteen singles. Billy Drennan, very good player at under fourteen doubles and you know, Wexford did Wexford won six of the seven finals they were in, so I mean from a from a Wexford perspective it was it was a terrific juvenile championships, you know, I suppose to win one or two titles is always difficult, but to win six of them is is a great achievement. In many ways, Gavin, um Wexford could be described as the home of handball I saw a link online and I just happened to click on it about the Wexford Leagues and I think there was something like 220 players in the Wexford 4 of 20 Leagues which is absolutely phenomenal. It's definitely far and away the, the highest participation numbers I'd imagine in any county. Can you tell me just about, about the handball scene in Wexford? How many clubs are there? Who are the strong clubs? And, and how are things organised? Yeah, well, well, there's I think there's 15 or 16 active Active clubs now. Some clubs will be more active than others. Some clubs um, will have a huge amount of juvenile participation. But um, in terms of the adults um, championships, they've they've already started down here. They they started in, I think the first ball was struck maybe in late September. Um, there there's games in the various grades, you know, every night of the week. Um, and I mean, there's a tr- tremendous competitiveness down here, and there's a tremendous uh, sense of honour in trying to to win your county championship, whether it be minor, you know, junior B, 
junior, intermediate, and I know from competing in the senior, I mean, like we would be trying for our lives in, 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 in our local championship. And I mean, first and foremost, before we even go on participate at national level, we try and win our county championships. There's a junior D and junior C championships, which cater for players of that particular grade. And I mean, I suppose, you know, it's all administered by, by Tony Green. He's the man that's kind of runs uh, a, a, a tight ship and, and runs the show and, you know, he schedules the games and he, and I mean, he has a, a, a huge experience in doing it at this stage. But I suppose it's just the kind of, the dynamic of it is that there has always been county championships in Wexford going back to Jim Mackey's time. He was a former county secretary and then it was just, you know, successive county secretaries over a long period of time have always kind of uh, made it their business to run county championships. And it's just the kind of, I suppose, as players, you know, we just take it for granted that the games are there for us. But they are competitive and they are, you know, well publicised. And I mean, there wouldn't, uh, there is a, a huge amount of, uh, you know, the playing population will be strong and numerically big down here, but, um, I suppose, you know, for other counties looking in at Wexford, and I know Cavan run county championships as well, um, Kilkenny run county championships, but a lot of counties probably don't go down that route, but, you know, maybe as a kind of a starting block and maybe, something that you know counties could do to try and increase participation and maybe get their own houses in order before they kind of you know not criticize but you know look for the provincial bodies to do things they could themselves put county championships in place because they have been a huge success down here and how are you getting on yourself in the wexford senior singles at the minute guy um <laughs> well i actually haven't well i in, in the senior, there's two groups of four, and we had only won the 60 by 30 um, Masters doubles title two weeks ago. So I haven't actually. It'll be next week. I would say I'll have my my first game. Normally, what um, Tony Green would do is the guys who reach all Ireland 60 by 30 finals, he will give them maybe a week or ten days kind of grace. So I'm I'm fully expecting to be out someday next week. I'm um, Barry Goff and Galen Reardon and Paul Lambert are in my group but the, the championship has started Peter Hughes has already had a good win against um, Tommy Hines and he's already beaten Daniel Cavanagh in the intermediate singles as well so he's kind of up and running Keith Armstrong is also in it but I'd be hoping to trying to hold off the young lads now Paul at this stage is, is going to be a difficulty enough in itself before <laughs> because Gail and Erden, Peter Hughes, Daniel Kavanagh are their up and comers. Like we're after being around for a while, so it won't be easy to, to kind of keep those lads at bay. Uh, um, but all in all, it'll be something to look forward to for the winter. And, and, and you know, most of uh, virtually everybody who plays in the county championships in Wexford like would prioritise them above and beyond everything else. Yeah, it's it's fantastic to hear, and it's fantastic from from a. Uh an outsider's point of view to look inside and peep over the wall and see how things are, are going in a very strong yeah. uh, county in Cavan we run our county championships over one weekend we have the facility in Kingscourt to, to do that but um, yeah. it's probably it's probably worth looking at to, to run it you know for, to, to put together a programme of regular games rather than just weekend but we can talk about this all day Gavin I'm going to let you go now and just say thanks very much once again for joining no us problem, on the podcast Paul, yeah. congratulations on your yeah, Masters win and keep up the good work with the juveniles Thank you very much, Paul. So that was Gavin Buggy from Wexford, one of the great handball enthusiasts out there, a player, a coach, referee, and general handball supporter. So thanks very much, Gavin, for joining us. Now, next up is John Kelly, the national handball manager from Crow Park. I had been chasing around John for a couple of weeks to ask him to appear on the podcast and he agreed, thankfully, with, with no problems, and he sat down, and it was an open invitation to ask him whatever we wanted. So I put the question out on Facebook. We got some responses, and I put whatever was on people's minds to John, and it was a very enjoyable discussion with him. He's a man who is employed by GA Handball. He really has the interest of GA Handball at heart, and I really hope you enjoy this discussion. 
Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined here by John Kelly, the national manager of GA Handball in Crow Park. And he's he's already showed me around the offices here this morning and showed me to the construction site of the new uh, impressive development that's going on around the corner at Croke Phyllis. So thanks very much, John, for joining us on the We Are Handball podcast. No problem, Paul. First of all, John, we're going to have a, just a wide range and look at where GA is at the minute, GA Handball, and um, where you look to bring the sport and the areas that, that you think deserve attention. First of all, I suppose, will you explain to us what your role entails and, and then maybe go on to, to explain the various um, levels of officialdom in GA Handball. So what does Eric Corley do, what does CCC do and what does the national manager do? Okay, well, I suppose we would closely mirror the GA in terms of our structure. In terms, you have a, a central council there, which would be the ruling body um, in terms of the rules and the, the official part of the, the game. Um, I would sit down as national manager of the association. Mine would be a more business role. So I'm here to, I suppose, to, to direct the association and to direct the strategic path of the association. Also, you know, areas like funding, sponsorship, all that sort of stuff. Um, and to, to manage the, the, the full-time staff here in the office. You know, we've got four full-time staff at the moment. We've got Dara Daly, who's our national development officer. Uh, Deborah Foley, who's our uh, regional development officer. Austin McKenna, who operates on fixtures and events. And then Bridget Ochney, who's our um, national administrator. So my job is to manage them on a day-to-day basis, I suppose, and to ensure that the, the best practices are put in place to run the, the sport and run the association. And also, at the same time, we've got the CCC committee, CCCC committee, who yourself was sitting on it, and you know from the last year, the, the remit is, to, is all to do with fixtures, really, and competitions-based, and, and the rules surrounding them. So your ad card, I suppose, sets out the constitution for the for the sport, um, how it's set up, that sort of way. You know, the, the decisions go to them for ratification. I'm here in the business side of things to run the business side of the events and to also run the, the game side of the events. And then our CCC are what would we'll take care of our fixtures and any fixture requests and any fixture issues or, you know, um, I suppose discipline issues that come out of that. You know? So it's it's a very full on role. When I pulled up the car here, I met Austin McKenna walking down the street and he had an envelope full of medals. And I asked him, what's on this weekend? And he says, there's a team of juvenile team events on this weekend. So there's something on all the time. So it is a very full-on role. Yeah, it is. It's a very full-on role. And I mean, anyone just has to look at the claw there. And I think, you know, we've been doing a bit of research on the claw and on the calendar at the moment. And we have 62 weeks worth of competition squashed into a 52-week claw. So that'll tell you just the amount of competitions. I mean, last weekend we had the Juvenile All-Irelands. The weekend before that was the 6 by 30 Senior Doubles All-Ireland Finals and Senior Doubles across the, the adult grades. You know, this weekend there's team events on. You know, we've only a few weeks now till the Golden Gloves or a couple of weeks to the Golden Gloves. And then after that you're talking about the, the Irish 4020 Nationals. You're back in the swing of things then. You've got Congress after Christmas and you've got the she's ace you've got even you're starting back into your 40 by 20 season so there, there's no real time for for settling down settling down and resting on your laurels and it's great to be busy but at times it can it can provide barriers to you know to other areas that we want to build on and you know things that we want to do within the sport but so I mean, but before i suppose not sorry to cut you off yeah. but before we go on to talk about we'd say that the hot issue which might be the grades or the new committee that's that's an operation in crow park with liam o'neill um from if an outsider was to come in here today and sit down and ask you what is handball's unique selling point, what, what would you, what answer would you give them? I think for me, and I mean I'm coming from a, a background outside of handball myself, and for me to see handball, the, the unique selling point of handball is a it's it's inclu- inclusive inclusivity, sorry, um so I mean it includes everyone. I mean from old to young to male female, you know, um it it's it a broad spectrum of members. Having said that, you know while it includes everybody. We provide an all Ireland nearly for everybody, and that's the, that's where the problem comes. It's defining that line. You know, we we don't have a set, I suppose, elite criteria like most other sports have. When you look at the likes of squash or badminton Ireland that have grown over the years, they've grown because they've focused on that elite section and grow, grew them as a as suppose as a way of defining the sport and a recognition too within the sport for young kids to look up to. We as a sport, we provide competition for everybody which is right and we provide games for everybody which I am totally in favour of and you know there should be an avenue for every person in, in Ireland to play handball having said that I think it's it's when we start providing all Ireland's for everybody that the, the issue becomes or starting to get you know starts to become a problem because then where does it stop and you know we just add more and more every single year and the cost goes up and the, and the quality goes in, in the opposite direction because you're just literally tinning out the, the playing population into everybody has a chance to win something like you know if if you ask somebody what it means to win what it means to win in all ireland 
I think it has to be obtained and it has to be obtained through hard work, through dedication and through, you know, a little bit of sacrifice and a little bit of maybe self-hurt going through training, missing things. You know, you talk to any top amateurs, they'll miss family events, they'll miss, you know, different occasions to, to put the sacrifices in there. I don't think that would be true across the board for every other title as one. So, I mean, it is our job, I suppose, now at the moment to pick out the ones that, you know, really entail sacrifice and really entail that sell our sport the best and to maintain those as all Ireland's and look at providing a way to give everybody else the handball that they need as well. But uh, play, playing devil's advocate here, and I'm a player who's played all my handball at junior B and junior level without a whole pile of success. But play, so playing devil's advocate for, from a player like me, why am I not entitled to, to have an All-Ireland that I can play for? Well, there, is, there still is an All-Ireland. It just doesn't, you know, I mean, there's, when when we come to whatever, you know, recommendations are here, like, I, I would still advocate to have All-Irelands, but I wouldn't advocate to have so many All-Irelands. I mean, to give you, I suppose, to, to come back at that would be, I was a footballer, I'd always played game of football growing up, and I was never good enough to play for my county team. I was good enough to play senior club football. But that was my level, and I mean, I didn't expect Crow Park to create... A competition to allow me to win All Ireland. I knew I was never going to win All Ireland. I knew I wasn't good enough, but there was All Ireland there for me to win. It just I didn't happen to have the skill set to win them. So I mean, if I had went and expected Crow Park to provide an All Ireland B, C, D, whatever it would be down the way, or an over thirty five that is at this stage, or over forties nearly at this stage to win for, for me to win, you know, I it never crossed my mind as a footballer. I love football. I put in every bit as much to football as I put into anything else in my life, you know what I mean? Even more than, than, than most. And, you know, I served on committees and I served on different team managements and stuff like that. But I always was of the opinion that an All-Ireland medal was reserved for those people who excelled at the sport and excelled in a really good way. Everybody else can play football in Ireland at club level, at county level. And, and, and be competitive. And be competitive. Yeah. And enjoy the game. And to me, sometimes the massive All-Ireland finals can take the enjoyment out of the game because it becomes too serious. And I suppose when you look at events that really, really work in handball, the events like Bravey House, the events like the All-Ireland Festivals of weekend, the big part of those was the social aspect and the fun aspect of it. And it, it really was heartening and warm to see this side of, of handball. But sometimes we can forget about that and we can be too competition-driven and too focused on winning that medal at the end of it, like, you know what I mean, as opposed to enjoying the game and enjoying playing the game. Yeah, and... How, how I'm sitting in your office here you've got a beautiful uh, backdrop here and I'm looking at Paul Brady Katrina Casey Joe McCann Colin Crahan Robbie McCarthy they're all the elite players and so GA Handball has made a big effort to showcase the elite players how do you juggle that with the mass part participation aspect of the game yeah I mean and I think it's important to say that even though we're I suppose highlighting the elite aspect of the game we definitely need the participation element and we definitely want the participation element and we want to provide for them um, when I would have taken over as national manager, I suppose, one of the things we said was our elite players <clears throat> don't get the recognition they deserve. So instead of it being we only want the elite players, that's not it at all. We feel that the, the elite players, for the effort they put in, for the training they put in and for the sacrifices they make, weren't being classed as elite players simply because there was everyone had an All-Ireland medal. Everywhere you looked, there was All-Ireland medals. Now that's not to say your junior B player, uh, you know, didn't win that of his own bat and wasn't entitled to win it. Of course he was. But the likes of Paul Brady with his 10 All-Irelands, the likes of Robin McCarthy there, you know, these are top, top sports people. And I don't think anyone in the country could say, you know, that, well, I trained as hard as Paul Brady, Katrina Casey, Ashton Riley, but Robin McCarthy, whoever it was, to win a lesser grade medal. Yeah. If they were doing that and they were as skillful, they'd be up in the open, the open grades, you know? Yeah. So we, we took the decision that to sell the sport, to sell the sport to the younger people, we need to create role models and we need to create heroes. The thing about role models and heroes is there's not one of them in every every grade or every county or every town. You look at football and hurlers, you can name the role models and heroes you know, on, on one hand, maybe two hands. You know, you've got your Henry Shafflins, you've got your um, you've got your Colin Coopers, these people. There's not everyone in Kerry doesn't have to be a role model, everybody in yeah. Cork. They still can play the game, they still can enjoy the game. So it was about, you know, Finding the, finding the elite level and really selling it out there to, to our kids to make them want to play handball, to make them look up, to give them heroes, you know. There was no heroes in handball except within handball. We all knew about the Duxie Walters, about the Joey Myers, about the Paul Brady's, but people outside handball didn't know about them. So it was to create that level of, well, here's a sport, everybody can play it, but we, they have an elite level there that their sports people are on a par with the Colin Coopers, the Henry Shefflins, the Rory McElroy's. And I firmly believe our, our elite people are. And I firmly believe that the rest of our players... 100% are entitled to compete 
at their own level and 100% should be competing at their own level. Yeah, and uh, I love I love the whole branding that you've you've done around it. I know you have great great graphic designer there, and it's very consistent the whole branding, and yeah. that's important the part of the whole presentation of it too. But aside from showcasing the the elite players on a macro level, what impact does it have when we say the full time staff that we have in the sport, and there's only four? What impact does it have on the game when when you're so tied up in the logistics of going from competition to competition? So as I said, I met Austin McKenna on the street mm. by by coincidence, and he's going to get medals, and his day is taken up with this competition. What impact does that have on on the overall strategy? Well, it's a huge impact because I mean, the more competitions you have to run from national level, the less time you have for strategic things, like you know promoting the game, like attaining sponsorships, stuff like that. I mean, to give you an example, when we walked into sponsorships. Uh, sponsors, uh, potential sponsors, um, office there a couple of weeks back, and we started explaining the game to him. We started explaining the amount of all Ireland's. We were losing ourselves, not even losing. We his eyes just lost over, and he just asked us to stop and said, "Look, where is the where is the simple part to this? Like you know, and it's very confusing for sponsors, for media, for TV to understand the game. That's that's one part of it. For the second part, from a from an office point of view, like we've got two development officers to cover thirty two counties." But they're still being pulled back in to arrange events and to you know to work on different kind of uh, I suppose administrative things that they shouldn't be really dealing on because there's so much work comes out of organising all these these tournaments and all these competitions. People think that you know well, it's easy. They get paid. They're up there to do a job. That's fair enough. But there's a lot behind the handball that has to be done as well. There's a lot of funding applications. There's a lot of coaching Ireland applications. You know, there's a lot of reports have to be done to different uh, funding partners and bodies like the GEA, Sport Ireland, Federation of Sport, Air Sports, Sport and I. You know, there's there's a hell of a lot of stuff that goes on unnoticed around the country that when you add on the added logistics of all these tournaments and a 62-week car, it means there's no space for the likes of club education. There's no space for training referees. There's no space to, you know, give back to the clubs, give back to the people on the ground and support them properly. Our, our two development officers, they're hamstrung by the, the fact that you know they have to be in the office here most of the week to help out with stuff in here that they can't be out on the ground helping clubs helping schools to develop the game there's a massive massive potential out there but you know when you're tied to just competition 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 it doesn't allow you to open up like i mean there's a huge opportunity out there to sell handball on the street like to sell it as a cool new urban game but we can't get out there to 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 affect that because we're stuck here with competition after competition. You know? So you, you said to me off air, I think it's important to make the point on air, that the, the full-time staff here aren't, aren't sitting here looking for sympathy and that we're, we're so busy, but you'd rather have be able to to direct your resources and your expertise into different areas. Yeah, and I think that's the key point. I mean, as I said, I'm very keen to point out that we don't want to stop people playing handball, and that's never been our, our kind of uh, thing about it, you know. And it's not that we're sitting up here saying, oh, poor us, poor us, you know, we need more, we need this, we need that. We're doing the best we can do with, a the resort financial resources, but be the, the 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 resources as in staff resources that we have as well, and if you take a look at it like a triangle, I mean, the most amount of people are at club level, the least amount of people, and it builds up to the least amount of people at national level. Yeah. And if you look at the the reverse of that, the most amount of competitions are being run at elite level, and the least amount probably at, at club level. I would love to see a reversal of that, and I'd love to see a lot more club tournaments being played. And so you'd like to see just as much or even more handball being played, but. At the bottom of the triangle, at yes, among clubs, rather than yeah. being nationally organised from the office here. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's five, there's four of us, five of us here in the office in total. We can't organise club tournaments on a, a weekly basis or weekend basis all around the country. But our clubs are well equipped to do that, and they can do that. They can't at the moment because there's no space in the car. But if there was space in the car and there was properly defined seasons, well, then we could have a lot more club tournaments, a lot more handball for everybody and for all abilities. And you know, it could be run then, and then that filters into your county. Your, your province and then up to national level your national level then would have a smaller amount of run competitions but we have the resources then that we could filter back into the clubs to give them support so all in all it's a better support and mechanism and it's also a better a better mechanism for moving forward and for things like attracting sponsors and things like you know um, the strategic vision that we have for the sport I'm going to ask you another this this might be a, a tricky question to answer because you don't, you don't want to be too, too yeah. uh, offensive or anything like that but what what do you think the general attitude is among handballers? I'm particularly talking about social media. I know from from putting throwing questions out there for for material for the podcast to see what people say. There there seems to be an air of negativity out there. Does that is that something that you'd agree with, or has it seeped in on you? And and what would you say to the sort of I won't, I won't say the naysayers because I don't want to be divisive, but what would you say to people out there who might take a negative view on things? 
Yeah, I mean, I per se don't really take too much attention about what I said as, as on Facebook. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that will write something, but when they meet you face to face, won't address you. And to me, you know, that their opinions aren't warranted because they won't address you. And I've no problem sitting down with anybody over a cup of coffee. I've sit I've done it with you many times and discussing what's going on in handball and you know what needs to be done. We can't listen to everybody, but we definitely will hear everybody. We can't act on what everybody says, but we definitely will listen to it. Sorry, we definitely listen to everybody. But I mean, it there is a very selfish, I suppose attitude in handball but that comes from an individual sport and that's that's acceptable because to be a be- the best in an individual sport you have to have a degree of selfishness however i suppose the most, fr- most frustrating thing for ourselves as a national office is the attitude of all oh, the suits in crow park or these guys up here who are sitting on a wealth of money you know kicking back their heels and doing nothing i mean you're not even wearing suits. we're not even wearing <laughs> suits exactly yeah you know what i mean we don't wear suits up here just pointing out but um you know we, we get it like what they don't seem to realise there might be 20 people on a tread and each one of them has their own agenda it's impossible for anybody no matter how good you are strategically or you know from a business point of view to actually put those 20 ideas into one sport because it's all different avenues some people are looking for more sponsorship some people are looking for more TV some people are looking for international trips some people think you know I will just ask the GEA they have a lot of cash there they'll give it to you so I'll ask you some of the some of the points that have been raised on yeah. Facebook, so I'll put them to you here now. One is, it, it's been said on Facebook and on social media that GA Handball would be better off away from the GA. That's the first question I'm going to put to you. How would you deal with that? Um, uh, personally, I think that's a, an absolute no-brainer in terms of, if you look at their annual accounts, and people just, this is, this is what I mean about Facebook. A lot can be said behind the keyboard without foundation and without thoughts, and that's the most frustrating part for us, is people don't get their facts straight and then they come out and make a statement like that. To move away from the GEA, you take away the, the branding, first of all, which is GA Handball, which makes us stand out. That's from a, that's a small point of it. But when you look at the, the amount of funding that GA actually gives us, I mean, we ran possibly the greatest ever World Championships in the history of the sport back in 2012. But we wouldn't be existing as, an, as a sport now had the GA not come in and financially backed us following that. You know, you, we get a, a, about 40% of our funding every year from the GA. Now, there is certain areas you say, right, move away from the GA removes that stigma of Asher those guys are okay for money and maybe you know people look at you in a different light and say you know and there's the whole professional thing the league of ireland tried to go down the, the professional route with soccer clubs and it failed and they had a much stronger foot in the Irish sport than we have so us trying to go down the professional route just because it works in america or because it's perceived to work in america doesn't mean it'll work in ireland because yeah. you still have to have financial backers i mean our financial backers are the gea and the sports council there's no guarantee the sports council are going to financially back us anymore if we're not part of the GA. So you take away half our funding, you now want to become professional. To become professional, you need funding. So, you know, that to me, business-wise, it just doesn't work. And uh, in terms of a capital project, you showed me this morning what they're doing around the corner, and it's it's exciting. Well, there you go. We haven't even spoke about a five million brand new handball centre that's going to be built. I mean, where will we get the money for that? Where would we get the, the money to, to put in a brand new website or, you know, to put in an online registration system or to take on new staff if we didn't have the GEA there? And plus a lot of the facilities are vested in the GEA. From oh, exactly, all the facilities. And I think it's it's very, I mean, another thing is the player injury fund. Anyone that claims out of that needs to realise we only give a token contribution to that to GEA cover the rest of that for us. So there's a lot of stuff out there that GEA do for us that people don't see. But I, I don't think they're willing or want to see it either, like, you know. Having said that, would I, would I like more money from the GA? Of course I would. We're going approaching them every year for different capital projects, for different things, looking for more money. And 90% of the time, the door is open there. And, you know, sometimes they'll come back to us and say, we don't think that'll work, which is fine. That's the way the world works, you know? Okay. So, okay, well, if we box that one off, the next one that, that comes up sometimes on Facebook is hardball. Yes. So there's, cert- there's a certain uh, core of hardball um fanatics in the country and they love the game of hardball they feel it's a tr- traditional game and they feel it's being railroaded a little bit in handball I, it's not an opinion I share but when I have you sitting down here I put it to you what, what is the, the attitude towards hardball I know the point was made that 97.7% of players didn't, didn't play hardball this year and it's exclusive towards as, well, as in it's not inclusive mm-hmm. towards kids and females and stuff like that but what is, what's your t- thoughts on hardball well again I mean, this is something that's been levied as we don't care about hardball, we don't promote hardball, and we don't put the same time into it as we do the other codes. Um, my my own perception of hardball is 
I think it's a crazy sport when you want that anyone wants to go in there with that sort of a ball and it flying around at, at the at the speed it does. However, it has an endearing aspect to it too, and the the fact that it's a very old traditional sport, the balls are made by hand, all that we can't forget that that aspect to it. I saw a hardball final between Owen Kennedy and TJ Fitzpatrick a couple of years back down in Turles, and it was a cracking game of handball. But I've equally seen games where guys have been 18, 19, one up, and uh, somebody just catches the serve right and ends up serving out 20 balls, and then all of a sudden the game's over when it was in a position, a completely different position, 10 minutes. And some people say that's brilliant. I would say, well, you've just kind of won a lucky all Ireland there. You know what I mean? I, I don't get it from a competitive point of view that way in terms of a bounce of a ball could could take a point away from you. You know, like GA moved on from that. They've produced balls that don't bounce funny. Slaters that don't bounce funny. Everyone has, has moved away from that sort of thing. We seem to rely on heritage and tradition a bit too much. And, you know, it's, it is brilliant heritage tradition. And I don't think we should forget about hardball or I don't think we should make it extinct. But I think as an All-Ireland, as, as an All-Ireland title, I don't think it, it is an All-Ireland title at the moment. I think there's too few people playing it the fact that women can't play it, the fact that kids can't play it, you know, and the fact that, as well as that, you can go in, I effectively could go into a handball alley, bounce the ball, if I get the right bounce, I could win an All-Ireland. You know, yeah, it's, all, it's, it, it's very it's, much serving. Exactly, it's serving. Yeah. Now, the killing aspect of it, great and all that, but, I mean, you look at it this way, in the All-Ireland finals this year, two or three of the players, openly admitted they haven't trained once, and they're sitting, standing, winning the same All-Ireland medal, as players who have trained all their, winter and all summer and you know like when you look at that compared to the work that Robin McCarthy has to do to win a 60 by 30 title or Katrina Casey has to do or Rashin Riley or Charlie Shanks look at Charlie Shanks what he had to do to go through to win the 40 by 20 and how much that meant to him when you have that flipped over and you say there's a guy there has won the same standard of a medal as Charlie Shanks has for not doing a bit of training for just turning up on the, at the alley today uh, of the day of the game and playing and, and winning it it doesn't and I, I'm in no way demeaning these guys all Ireland's are achievements but do you, do you but, see is there any potential for growth in Ireland? I, I can't see the potential for growth from a business point as I said to you I'm not a, an ex-handballer I don't I don't have any feelings per se on this but like in terms of I don't see the potential for growth in it from a from a strategic point of view where do we go with it where like how, do, you, do you some people say soften the ball does that not take away from the name hardball you yeah, know what I mean yeah. some people say more promotion more promotion is great, but it's not the promotion of the game that makes people want to play it. It's the game itself. You know what I mean? And, you know, we have been very, very slow to change, very, very slow to take things on in this sport, in my opinion, in the recent years. And I just think that, you know, at some stage we have to stand up and say, well, look, is this working? From a financial point of view, it doesn't work. From a game point of view, I, I mean, I was at the All-Ireland Finals this year. There was maybe 15, 20 spectators at our All-Ireland Finals. Um, the players aren't taking it serious. There was over 39 request to change games out of 50 game programme this year in the All-Ireland yeah. 97.7% of our, our players don't play it there probably is potential for growth because it's so low at the moment and it can only go one way which is mm. up, but it, not enough growth to justify it to justify it sitting alongside as a premium All-Ireland title with 40 by 20 60 by 30 a, a question was raised John and I'm on CCC so um, I know what the work that goes on in CCC a question was raised about why, why were their games fixed the weekend of the of the All Ireland uh, doubles final last weekend, and they reckon, people thought that it took away from the, the potential crowd of spectators who might, might have went to Crow Park to watch the, those finals. I would think that in a in a strange way that that goes back to Harbaugh because Harbaugh takes up the first six weeks sort of of the summer part of the tour, which means that the softball runs on later. But I'd be interested to hear your views on it. Yeah, I mean the, that's the other aspect too. The, the six weeks there, I mean as I said to you, we're running a sixty-two week tour and a fifty-two week period and we, we need all the, the weeks we can get but yeah I mean it's, it's become the amount of competitions have become so great that it's finally impossible to find weekends that suit everybody now what you have happening is we ideally would like our All-Ireland weekends to be sacrosanct so that it gives everybody the opportunity to go and support the sport now we, we don't have a huge <coughs> like handballers don't tend <coughs> excuse me to support the sport as well as I think they should in, terms, in the same way as footballers and hurlers do we tend to prepare to watch it on Facebook or watch it online, you know, and there's a lot of people online saying, oh, well, you know, this should happen, that should happen, that don't go to games, you know. But I think with those six weeks of hardball, you could be under a lot less pressure to run things off and you could have a case then where you have that week free for your All-Ireland Finals. And I, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like our All-Ireland Finals to be the pinnacle events of our of our season so that it gives people the, the you know, and, and even further than that, Put it on dates for. I mean, I know we're 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 back to the All Ireland the night before the the Harland final, 
this year with the, with the singles. But is it really achieving much for us? Because it's not like back in the day that worked because the media were all around. The media are all based on computers now. They don't need to be around crop parts like before. So does that still kind of fulfil the, the, the reasoning for, for putting it there? I think they should be able to stand alone weekends to give the best chance of media coverage, the best chance for supporters to come and watch it. And, you know, the best chance for the game itself, you know. The, the final two questions I'm going to ask you, one is about 6 by 30 handball mm-hmm. and the threat of one wall, the threat or opportunity, and the other is about, you've met, touched on media coverage, so I'll ask you about that, because that's one thing that you always say in handball. There is a tremendous amount of goodwill in handball. You get into a taxi and the taxi man says, where were, where were you? And he said, I was playing handball there. And they'll say, great game. Yeah. And it, everyone knows handball's a great game and the goodwill is there. Wh- why does handball not get media coverage or struggle to get media coverage? Now, there, was a, like, there was a lovely segment on, on TG Carr about the McCarran's family recently and it gets isolated coverage like that. But why do you think handball doesn't get more coverage? Yeah, I mean, like two years ago we were going to Canada and we got a, a lovely piece of, set of coverage as well on all the main TV stations. And, you know, it does, it makes you scratch your head and think, well, why? And I mean, there is a per- perception out there that we're not doing anything to get media coverage, but it's not just that easy. I think live handball will, will never get TV coverage in the in the way it is at the moment with your three games 21, because you take the senior doubles finals just gone past, there's seven and a half hours of, of total match time in that. I mean, to, to actually pay for that sort of airtime on any channel is going to be massive money. But then you're into running into other programmes and all that kind of stuff as well that TV stations aren't willing to do anymore. They want a set time. They want to say, well, it's going to start at, at six and end at seven. Fine, we'll take it. You know, And this is the message we're getting back from TV stations and people like that are saying, well, if you can't give us a guaranteed start time and finish time, you know, they don't want to know about it. They don't want to be paying lads to, to do overtime and that sort of thing, you know? Hmm. I think the, the format of our games, if we want media coverage, live media coverage, the format of our games has to change uh, in terms of do we go to shorter you know, games, shorter tie breaks maybe, um, time games, whatever it is. The, the beauty of the Top Ace uh, programme when it worked and it always worked on TV was that it was timed and RT could go in and film a number of games and come out and have a package ready to go. You know, And I think that's something we need to look at whether it's if we don't want to change our All-Irelands to time games, we might change our Nationals to time games and look to get media coverage through that. In written and print coverage, again, that like to me, that starts at, at local level and club level and we need to be building it from there. And we need, you know, we have some fantastic county bureaus in place at the moment, you know, that, that are really, really putting huge effort into it. Like, I mean, Claire, I've just appointed a bureau and every week you see stuff going into to papers and that is just one that springs to mind because I'm always seeing it on, on Facebook and it's great to see that. But then there's some bureaus who are not you know, supplying the paper. The things that we were told that, like, that really impact is, you know, the quality of the writing. So make sure it's not a big, long piece, that it's, you know, good quality writing, you know, that it's it's a certain size to fit into the paper. You're, you're fighting a battle now against, I suppose, the big sports like football, hurling, basketball, or rugby, all those sports. But you're also fighting a battle then among yourselves because you've maybe two or three people who are not submitting articles, you have four people who are submitting articles and papers aren't willing to hold space anymore they, they'll fill the space yeah. in the morning you know. The newsrooms are under-resourced are, are under-resourced and I think from talking to the media outlets that we've talked to there's a lack of understanding of handball I mean for example we came back from the World Championships in 2015 and we come into the papers as these guys had all won but four weeks later we're looking to the papers to put stuff in about uh, 60 by 30 All-Irelands and they're looking and they're thinking well that's a different sport and then Four weeks later, we're looking to put stuff in about the Irish Nationals, which is 40 by 20 again. And when you're a newspaper editor or a newspaper researcher, you're thinking to yourself, well, what is this or where is it coming from? And why is it so different? Like, GA of football and hurling, you know what I mean? They've, they've those two, that's it. Um, every other sport has maybe one, two. We've got 40 by 20, 60 by 30, one wall, and we've got hardball. And even within those, you have Irish Nationals, you have all Ireland, you've got over 35s, you've over 65. So to actually you know, sell that to a media outlet, they don't understand it, so they're not going to put it into their paper thinking that their readers are not going to understand it. Yeah. So again, a restructure of our, of our competitions, a clear, defined competition structure will, will help with that, I, I feel, I personally feel. And that's the, the vibes we're getting back from the media. It's like, uh, when the game, when the new centre in Crow Park is constructed, that might help because it's on the course, doorstep of the media. So. Of course it will. And look, having a brand new spanking centre like that obviously helps look at Crow Park for the GA, what Aviva does for, you know, soccer. Will you give me? Will you give us an indication, John, of what what the standard of the new complex will be? You told me earlier on yeah, a bit off air. So it's going to be. It's, it's very exciting, actually, Paul. It's 
it's going to be state of the art. I mean, in terms of the facilities, uh, change of facilities for the players, for for officials, for all that. It's going to, but the, the course themselves are going to be kitted out with all the latest, I suppose, media facilities. So you'll have uh, microphones that allow players to hear, allow the outside to hear. You'll have it all kitted out with the latest TV stuff. You know, so it really will be a state of the art complex. It really will be a home, a, a unique home that people aspire to play in. And that's what we want. We want, you know, people to aspire to play in, in Crow Park and handball. We want kids saying, you know, I'm going to play in Crow Park with a genuine excitement. And when they come and they play in Crow Park, they want to be wowed. They want to want to come back there. And so we're talking glass side walls, glass exhibition, side walls, seat, exhibition seat and seating, yeah. I mean, you're talking um, show courts for the for the for the codes are going to be spectacular. Like, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to you're going to come to. Um, not just a, a game of handball, but it'll be an event. It'll be a showpiece. It'll be, you know what I mean. There'll be there'll be proper lighting. There'll be everything to that lends to an occasion. Not just we're we're quite limited to what we can do in our all Ireland final day, you know, to attract neutral people because there's very limited space and there's very limited things you can do in a handball alley because of the, yeah. the lack of space. But this, you know, you'll be able to have entertainment. You'll be able to have walk-ons. You'll be able to have anything you want to do to spruce to spruce up the the entertainment package on, on All-Ireland Final Day and on your showpiece your showpiece days, which is going to be spectacular for the sport. And that alone is going to raise the bar, you know? Well, I've, I've been to a few big fights here and in the States. And, you know, that moment when the, when the fighter enters the arena, the lights are dimmed, the music comes on, it puts the hair stand on the back of your neck. Is that the sort of thing that we can replicate now? It definitely is. I mean, um, from talking to the handballers, they have no problem with it. Like, you know, and I think you need to do that. I mean, it's more... Of, the sport in Ireland has done more about the user experience than actually the, the game itself. Yeah. And you look at the GEA, they never just run a game. There's always some entertainment attached to it. You know, you look at soccer, there's entertainment attached to it. Boxing is your, is your perfect one, like us. Two gladiators going into a, a ring or a court to fight. You know, you, you build it up. You have the intros, you have the little TV snippets, you have all that kind of stuff that builds up crescendo in the crowd. You know, maybe one of the things in handball is we've been a little bit samey, a little bit safe. And, well, that's great and that's brilliant for the you know, for the old-fashioned people, to attract children, to attract new people to the sport, which is what we have to do as well, is to attract new people to the sport, you're going to have to provide a user experience. And I, I think, you know, this centre will, will lend to that, and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see all our final nights, you know, like the boxing, like, but even we can go about different things in the boxing, you know. Um, I mean, the UFC is a new one at the moment, with McGregor and these guys and their walk-ins. Uh, I'm not expecting anyone to walk in a row, but you're, you know what I mean. Like a few, a few of them would, would the, mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Like to, you know that we can yeah. we can do with it, and as it, it'll be state of the art, glass side walls, exhibition seating. Um, you'll have your cameras fitted in. You'll have your sound systems, and it'll be it'll be a, a wow experience for everyone that, that attends there. And in terms of sixty by thirty handball, um, I I used to be of the opinion that sixty by thirty handball was on the way out, and I've changed my mind and. I, I think six by thirty handball is on the is on the rise again. I think there was a very good juvenile finals day last last weekend. I know in in, in Cavan, we've got four six by thirty indoor courts, uh, in four different locations. We've got two outdoor six by thirty courts that are revamped, and we only have three indoor four by twenty venues. So, in technically speaking, there's more big alleys than small alleys in Cavan, for mm-hmm. for example. So the facilities are there around the country, even though a lot of them need touching up. What what does the future hold for six by thirty handball? Do you think? Yeah, look, I think the, the future is very bright for 6x30. I mean, this thing again is people come in and say, one wall's killing 6x30. I don't necessarily agree. I mean, I think it, it's we're gone from the day and age where people played a sport because they were told to play it or because their father played it or their brother played it or whoever, their mother or sister, whoever it was in the, in the family played it. And I think we now have to provide to new kids and kids who want to play, we have to provide something that's new and cool and attainable for them. And You know, children nowadays aren't as I suppose tough and hardened as we were when we were growing up they have a lot more computer games or you know there's, they're a lot more kind of pigeonholed in the house so you know 6 by 30 can often seem like a tough game to them but there, there definitely is ways of, of reducing that fear and reducing that kind of you know dimension when they go into the court and one of the ways I've always said was why not have a one wall court within your 60 by 30 start them off playing one wall and when they get comfortable in the environment throw in a, a softball to them and start them that way like you know that's just a way of easing them into it whether it works or not, you still have them playing handball. And to me, it's very important. You know, I don't care if a, an eight-year-old starts playing one ball, 40 by 20 or, or 60 by 30, as long as they're in the game, they're in the sport of handball. Because when they're 20, they might take up 
one of his coats and there's always that possibility once they're in the sport by saying to them well you can only play this or you can only play that you're immediately going pushing them away from the sport we need to in- include everyone whether it's one wall four wall six by thirty and they can always cross codes there's no there's absolutely no problem with that trying to get someone to come in and play three codes at one time it's not going to work or trying to pigeonhole them into just one code yeah. it's not going to work you look at some of the best handballers around at juvenile level and I pick one there at the weekend young Billy Drennan he's equally adept at all codes and he's one of the most fantastic handballers to see but he didn't pigeonhole or his parents or his coaches didn't say well you're only a 40 by 20 or you're only a 60 by 30 player that's all you're going to play he now is succeeding on, on all the codes he might have to come to a, a day where he picks one code if he wants to be a really successful player like your Brady's McCarthy's your Riley's whoever it is and you know he might have to come to that stage but at the moment he's playing all three codes and he he's looks to be enjoying all three codes and that's the important thing i would say is six by 30 future is very bright i think the change in ball has helped and um, the ball the, the worker committee that provided a new ball i think it's easier for the kids to play it now i think our, our venues do need a little bit of attention in terms of if you were to to look around the, the 40 by 20 venues tend to be newer they tend to be a little bit more modern whereas the 60 by 30 are older concrete structures so they can be physically intimidating to a child or to to adults remember you're selling this to the, to the, to the adults as well to the parents and it has to be a welcome environment for them so there's a lot of things involved in it it's like you know make it welcoming for the parents make it welcome for the kids modify games that make it easier for the ch- children but i think you know when you look back last year and definitely when the when the games come back to crow park and the packed crowds that witness Robbie and Owen and you know uh, Katrina and Martina and you know in the minor games it was just brilliant there was a sense of occasion there was a sense of of magic about it and you know to me they were absolutely outstanding occasions and I think you know the game isn't it can't be dead when you can get 300 people up to watch uh, an All-Ireland final and with the new, the new arena is going to increase that the again. new arena again will increase that and will we'll provide a modern 6x30 but you also have Around the country, don't forget you. You know you've got to like some white Cullen there as a modern sixty by thirty arena. Avilara will be quite modern one. You've other clubs who are looking at maybe you know upgrading their 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 facilities in the sixty by thirty. I think we need to upgrade the facilities. We need to provide a really attractive. You know the, the game is brilliant. The game is, you know everybody would agree that anyone who plays it, I think loves the game, and um, it is our traditional code of handball. But far more than that, it's a brilliant game, brilliant spectacle to watch. You know. One wall handball is is a new game. In ways, it's in ways it's an old game because it's where handball started, battering the ball against the wall, no side walls, no roof, and one wall has made a, an unbelievable explosion in popularity in the last few years. Do do you view it as an opportunity? In ways, is it a threat in that it's eaten up into the summer season? Can one wall and six softball live together? And the the other part of the question is, in terms of internationally, is one wall the future of handball? Um, I definitely would view it as a, a potential rather than a, a, an opportunity rather than a threat. <clears throat> I mean, as I said, like we're GA handball, we're not GA 40 by 20, GA 6 by 30, or GA 1 mall. And to lock off GA or 1 mall and say, no, like it's a threat, we don't want it, you're, you're cutting off a lot, a lot of people and a lot of potential people. I mean, uh, how we grow as a sport is going to be very important, and I think 1 mall is key to that. You, no schools nowadays are, are going to put in a 60 by 30 or 40 by 20 facility, facility. You will get them to put in a one wall facility. From that point of view, one wall takes the box, you know. Um, for showcasing the game in small areas or small spaces, if we can get a one wall, a portable wall, bring it around the country to football matches, bring it around to different occasions into town cities, you're going to showcase the, the sport a bit better. You're not going to get a 40 by 20 in the back of a truck or a 60 by 30, you know. Mm. So from that point of view, in terms of selling it, there's far more potential there. But as I said, I would use it 60 by 30 as a sport to grow handball, to grow numbers, and you can always cross that. I come from a sales background where you sold the, the product that had the best chance of selling, and then you tried to cross sell into other areas. You know, once you had them gripped, I, you would grip people with one more handball and then cross sell them into 40 by 20, 60 by 30. We want the players involved in our game. You know what I mean? Whether what Whatever call it is, you know. And um, internationally... Like I know G Hamill, I think I'm right in saying doesn't send the team to the junior nationals in the states the last few years. No, the, we the, the, no, no. the numbers have dropped off over there. Whereas internationally, the one wall numbers seem to be rising, and new countries, especially in mainland Europe, are taking it on. Yeah, is, is one wall the way forward there? I think I think it is. I think it probably it, it is the way forward in terms of um, what would I say in terms of recognition on a worldwide stage because you have a lot more countries that are playing it. I mean, even in Europe, 
you've six, seven, eight countries that are playing this European tour now. And I mean, none of them played for the 20 or 6 or 30. Uh, so uh, from that point of view, I suppose when you look at it on a worldwide scale, you're saying, yeah, it's a genuine worldwide phenomenon of a game, you know, in terms of, and look, being from Ireland, we could easily say, well, no, 420 is the world's best game because we're the best at it, you know, at the moment. But there was a point where America were the best at it, and that will come full circle again, and America will come again. Um, the one more game, I think, has the potential to explode, has the potential to be a world, maybe an Olympic game, you know what I mean, down the, down the track. That's that's a bit away yet. But definitely from opening up the world's eyes to handball, I think it would have to be one world because of the ease of the of the facilities of you know taking up the game, anyone can play it. You know what I mean? And it's a, it's an extremely popular popular game. Is it as skillful as you know forty by twenty, sixty by thirty? I leave that to the players and the experts to decide. At the end of the day, you know it's it's sellable, it's marketable, it's it's easy to attract people and new people, and that's what from a business point of view we got to be looking at here because more people means more income means more opportunities to you know. To me, I would say, and I'd say this hand on heart, is my long-term objective would be we use one wall to, to bring in as many people as possible. We can use part of that funding to, to raise the one wall game, part of it to raise the four wall game, but most crucially, we can use that funding to rise up our 60 by 30 game as well. We try to you know, push all three codes together in this similar way. We're not going to attract as many people. We've seen that in the last few years. We don't attract as many people. So I think the one wall can be you know, a very important tool in capturing more more players more the more countries to play it obviously opens more avenues for funding often opens more avenues for sponsorship and all that so i think we'd be foolish to ignore it to ignore the phenomenon go to for anyone who has doubts over the game or has doubts over the the whole ethos of the game i'd say go to brave your house and you come back a convert i've seen the, the most ardent of 60 by 30 and the most ardent of uh, 40 by 20 supporters going down saying there's no way one more the it, well, it's been called everything from, I suppose, um, handball stabilizers, everything, you know what I mean? It's the famous one. But when they come out of the, the home ball arena, they think there's something special about it. And there definitely is something special. To me, I, I would still say 40 by 26 by 30 are our main codes in Ireland here. Um, but there is something special happening on the and I think it'd be foolish to ignore it. Is, is there any area that you, that you feel that GA handball could do better in? Is there any area that you feel that possibly could have done things a little bit better and would like to, to um, look at? There is, I suppose, you know, and I suppose there's always areas you'd like to be doing better in. Um, I, I would like to see us come together more as a unit and, you know, not be segregated into 6 by 30, 40 20 and one ball. Like, we're all handball. I mean, it does no good for us to be berating ourselves or each other on, on Facebook or berating on, on social media because, you know, we're a small enough pocket and small enough unit um, we're fighting, I think, above our weight in, in many cases, in terms of if you look through the Federation of Irish Sports website, you see all the different NGBs that are similar to our size. They're not pulling in as much funding, they're not, don't have as many participation numbers. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we are doing a lot of things right. I suppose the regret, one regret would be the, the finance side of things, and the last few years have been quite tough because of that. And I would love to have done a little bit more outside the box stuff. But I mean, we were, we were under a, a lot of financial burden there thankfully that's stabilised now so it's going to give us the chance to grow I think with these recommendations that will come forward from um, the work group it's important that people will look at them in the right frame of mind they don't look at them from their own point of view or they don't look at them from a selfish point of view they look at them from a humble point of view and say well will this improve the game will this improve the sport and will this allow us to grow and will it attract new members and will it attract you know, um, new opportunities with the game I'm not saying every single one of them will, but I'm saying these are being made with the best interests of the game at heart. They're not being made just for the sake of it. The people on the committee don't sit on the committee just to have a, you know, it, it's not glamorous. I mean, you're meeting at 7 o'clock at night out in a cold meeting room. It's, it's, it's not done for the glamorous done because they all genuinely want to make a difference in the sport. So I would say to people is, you know, we need to, when we're approaching things, we need to fight on a unified front. I mean... The worst thing that can happen is people would come onto the handball Facebook page to see, you know, what handball's about, and they've got all these people giving out, and you know, <clears throat> said a lot of it without foundation, you know, and like our our doors are open, our, our phones are on, and our 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 Facebooks or whatever is are always open, and we're at nineteen percent of stuff around the country on a national level. So I mean, there's avenues there to talk to us, to say to us, you know, what's up or what they feel is up. As I said, 
will we take everything on board and run with everything? We can't because you you just can't take everybody's opinion and run with it. There has to be a certain amount of yeah, well that bit works, that bit works, piecing it together and making a better association for all. So I suppose the the, the one thing I would I would think we fall down on a little bit is sometimes we can fight our own corner and forget that the rest of the association exists. And I'd like to see people come together and build a really, really positive. I said, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it's sitting in this job, if I didn't think that this has an immense future ahead of us. This sport does, it does. You know, we've had dark days in the past and we probably will again, but the, the important thing is we look positively. We, we embrace the change. We embrace, you know, the positive things going forward, work with each other and build what I believe can be a really, really bright future for this sport. So that's all we have time for this week, folks. As I said, remember to like and share the podcast on social media. Subscribe to us on iTunes, on SoundCloud or whatever your podcast provider is. And get in touch on We Are Handball on Facebook or Twitter to let us know what suggestions you have for future shows. Who should we interview? What should we preview? If you have a tournament coming up, let us know. We'll promote it for you. Whatever it takes, we'll try and do it to bring as many handball voices from around the country to you as we can. In the meantime, keep on handballing.